my issues with making more as a woman were not about my fears of not being able to succeed so much as it was about seeing other women uh, be shamed around this growing up or the the talk, the chatter that you hear growing up and even in the films and on television about like, well, you know, the rich bib and, you know, all those other tropes. And I think that it... Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. When you feel afraid, do you immediately jump into action to get rid of that feeling? Do you sometimes experience the fear that you're missing out on fun things or good business ideas? Do you struggle to set boundaries? If you answered yes to any of those questions, this episode is for you. There are a lot of people who insist that you should have no fear in life. And if you experience or you show fear, it's a sign of weakness. But fear is a normal emotion, and you could learn a lot from it. Here to talk about that today is Farnoosh Tarabi. Farnoosh is a multi-best-selling financial author and former CNBC host. She's also the creator of the popular podcast, So Money. She's considered one of the country's favorite go-to money experts. But her newest book isn't about money. Instead, it's called A Healthy State of Panic. And while she does talk about financial fear in her book, she discusses other ways in which fear plays a big role in our lives. Some of the things she talks about today are how to conquer the fear of missing out, how to accept fear and turn it into an asset, and how to create your own definition of success. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Farnoosh's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here's Farnoosh Tarabi on how to adopt a healthy state of panic. Farnoosh Tarabi, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Amy, thank you so much, my friend. I'm honored to be on your show. I love your show. Thank you. Well, as you know, I'm a longtime fan of your work. I heard you on the James Altucher show, I don't know, a really, Ooh. really long time ago. <laughs> and as soon as I heard you, I was like, who is this? And so I've been following you for a really long time. So it's an honor to be able to talk to you on the show. And I was excited when I saw that you have a new book coming out, A Healthy State of Panic. But when I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's probably going to be about money. Most of what you mm -hmm. talk about is financially related. So I thought it would probably mostly focus on financial stuff. But after reading it, I realized, no, you talk about lots of different fears and things that we can all relate to. So do you want to talk a little bit about how this book came about? Yes, thank you. Thank you for calling that out too, because that's uh, been one of the the, the funnest parts of this book was to kind of adventure outside of the world of money. But to your point, a lot of people see me as the money girl, or the money lady. There's a scene in the first part of the book where it's like, you know, around town, um, 
you get to know people, they get to know what you do. I have people follow me on pot, you know, the podcast and Instagram and I'll be taking my daughter to class to like a ballet class. And a mom will be like, Oh, you're Farnoosh from so money or Instagram. I follow you. You're the money lady, you know? And so I kind of have, I own that. I own that a hundred percent, but I feel like when we talk about money, we're also really talking about life and our role in it. Money decisions are high stakes and they, imp- they impact not just our finances, but our relationships and our sense of success, our sense of fulfillment. So uh, I think although I've been working in the financial space for 20 plus years, I have been working with people's lives really in during all that time. And what I often find, and this is getting back to the book, when people are giving me their financial questions, their conundrums, the emotional underpinning of so many of our questions about money is fear. So I say that, you know, I have been working professionally with fear for many, many years, and now I'm finally addressing it head on. But I also have a very personal relationship with fear that I think is uniquely, uniquely positions me to, to tell this particular story about why I think fear is awesome and can be a superpower in your life. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. So I'm a therapist and Mm -hmm. we would always ask people lots of questions on their first appointment. There's like a checklist of questions where you ask people about their childhood abuse and very serious, deep questions and what their health issues are and how their diet is just to get their background. For me, the most uncomfortable question was to then ask them, how much money do you make? Mm. (laughs) Because it's, we don't really talk about money. And sometimes people's financial issues were a symptom of the problem. Somebody with depression might be having trouble going to work and paying their bills. And we might see that play out financially. Other times somebody with an anxiety disorder might be hoarding their money and feel guilty Mm -hmm. when they spend it. But other times money is the problem, right? When people don't have enough money to pay the bills, well, yes, they're going to have anxiety and they should have anxiety. So it's something we should talk more about. And I think our our careers definitely cross paths in so many ways because you're talking about the emotions of money, how we grew up learning about money, how that affects our attitude, how it plays out in so many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. We, you're right, don't talk about money enough. I think because we have accepted this, I think, false narrative ultimately that money is representative of who we are. Um, if we have a lot of it, maybe we're better off than others. We're better people. Or if someone is is, is struggling, maybe that's something that says something about their character. And th- those are just such unfair um, connections. And you know, we often hear like self worth is net worth. I, I think we got to just stop with that. And you said something about how you know money is the problem. And and yes, I think to some extent you got to have at least a minimum amount to feel stable and secure. But beyond that, what we find is that once people have sort of enough to pay their bare minimum uh, responsibilities and expenses, beyond that, the the trouble with money is not money itself; it's their relationship with it. Yes, right. We all have that idea that once you get that next level, if you make six figures, then you'll be happier. And then if you think, well, if I only had a bigger house or a nicer right. car or. And, and people, billionaires struggle with this idea of like, do I have enough? I'll never have enough. And so where does that lead everybody else? I think that there is a universality, universality to this, this complexity around like feeling like you 
have more control, that you have more control of your financial life than you think. And that money is just a tool. It's just a simple tool. And how you relate to it um, is, is kind of a choice. It's kind of your choice. And a lot of us are afraid of money because we're afraid of what it might say about us. Um, we're afraid of what making, personally, I was afraid of making, quote unquote, too much money as a woman in a marriage who was already the breadwinner. So I had, in some ways, crossed some hurdles, jumped some hurdles, and I felt very proud of where I was financially, supporting myself and a family. I wrote a book about it. My last book was called When She Makes More. But if I'm being extremely honest, there was a there was a part of me that was holding myself back, a, a fear of, well, if I try to really push the envelope anymore and try to get maybe past the seven-figure threshold, that it's going to cost me stuff that I don't want to lose, like my relationship with my husband or my um, availability and accessibility to my children. I thought that more money meant less time for doing the things that you care about, trying to make more money, I should say, equals making having less time for, for life. And this was a false narrative. And that's the first step when we have fears of money uh, is is to question it. You know, where did this come from? Is it based in, is it rooted in a falsehood or is it, is there some truth to it? Um, often I find that there's not a lot of legs <laughs> to, to it. And because we may discover that, you know what, I may have grown up with this mentality. I may have seen this modeled, but why do I assume that that has to be my life and my path? And so I recognize that my my issues with making more as a woman were not about my fears of not being able to succeed so much as it was about seeing other women uh, be shamed around this growing up or the the talk, the chatter that you hear growing up and even in the films and on television about like, well, you know, the rich bit and, you know, all those other tropes. And I think that it it's, it sat with me subconsciously for a long time. And then it led to ultimately not feeling like I could do that either. I didn't want to risk that for myself. But when I worked with a money coach, I wasn't even working with her. I was just interviewing her for an article and it kind of came up casually. Like, I think I have enough. I'm good. She, and she said to me, well, why do you think that? Don't you want to have more money so you can have more power? And I said, no, no that, does, that, that word does not spark joy in me. Like, I don't want power. And she goes, all right, let's unpack that. Why do you not like power? I said, because power is gross. Like, I don't want to control people. I don't want to power and dominate. She goes, you have such a myopic view of power. Power has many applications. It can be not just the power to control, which is perhaps what we see often in the movies. And when we think about rich, rich people, billionaires, they, you know, um, they come across as very maybe unlikable, powerful figures, (laughs) But there's also the power to uplift. There's the power to support. There's the power to heal. And if that resonates with you, then you better go get that money because that's, that's, you deserve it. And, and so I said, okay, I, I feel good about this. I feel like I can do this, but you know, the fear didn't go away, Amy. And I think because the fear wanted me to ultimately still protect my time and my energy and my resources in this pursuit of making more money, that's valid. And so I thought, um, this doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means I have to be more strategic. So the first thing I did was I just raised my prices. Try it. Um, it's the low-hanging fruit. 
It is the thing that requires no time. It's just a decision. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't, but you'll probably net positive. (laughs) Right. And so I did that. I also invested in, in, in an assistant who could free up my time, which was what I wanted to protect. Yes, it was an upfront cost, but within months I was earning that investment back. I was seeing an ROI because this person was able to handle a lot of the important day-to-day stuff that um, was required to sort of keep head above water in my business. But then suddenly I had the time and the capacity to think strategically and long-term and build new ideas and build new products, which is what ultimately got me over that seven-figure threshold within a couple of years. And so I credit fear in my own life for uh, giving me permission to go on this journey. And it starts with questioning the emotion as far as where are you coming from? Who brought you here? Are you true? What do you want me to protect? You know, what is it that I need to be on the lookout for? It doesn't mean that you can't go do the thing or you don't have the ability to go do the brave, wild thing, but it just means that you have to do it your way in a self-aligned way. And I always say, show me someone who is fearless And I will show you someone who doesn't know who they are. Oh, I like that. This is the first time in my life when I haven't had a pet. Up until two years ago, I had Jackson, a 19-year-old Himalayan cat, and Fiona, a 17-year-old English Springer Spaniel. Both of them lived on the sailboat and adjusted pretty well to life on the water. I miss them, and I look forward to getting another pet when the time is right. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of the family, and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency, LIM. Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. 
Yeah. But show me someone who is patient with their fears, who listens to them, is someone who knows their values, is someone who knows what it means to truly be fulfilled and and is brave at the same time. You can be afraid and awesome. You can be fearful and fulfilled. You can be scared and smart. These are not, uh, they don't cancel each other out. And I think our culture has been slow to accept this. And I hope this book will give fear the rebrand that it deserves. And I think you do. And that's what I appreciated as a therapist so much about going through each of your chapters is you don't say like, you have to get rid of all of your fears. Instead, learn how to think about why you have that fear. And then like, how do you flip the switch on it and use it to your advantage? And so you talk about all these different fears in the book that we can all relate to, the fear of rejection, the fear of loneliness, the fear of uncertainty. But I think the one I really want to hone in on is your chapter about the fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. Because I think we don't talk about this one nearly enough, but how many people get driven? And I've done it in my own life where I do things because I think if I don't, something horrible might might happen because I missed out on and I'll hear about how much fun it was or how rich people got because they took that step or how amazing an experience was. And if I don't say yes to it, then I'm going to miss out on that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I found myself in that situation where I go do something and then I think, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Or why am I wasting my time once I do it? And in your book, you talk really... Uh, you start out the chapter by explaining like frat parties in college that you knew from an early start that that was not your thing. And you were able to say no to that, even though so many people would get dragged into Mm. frat parties, even though they didn't want to be there. But how did you figure out sometimes to say no to things when you thought, this isn't me? Listen, it was hardwired in me. I'm the daughter of Iranian immigrants. Our mantra for living a safe and successful life was the following, stay home. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't allowed to do a lot of the risk risky, daring things that my my friends and neighbors did. And by risky and daring, I mean like eat sugary cereals and go on sleepovers and date boys. Uh, although I did kiss a boy when I was in my teens. I mean, it, it, it's inevitable. <laughs> okay. Parents out there, you cannot, you cannot hold your teens back from uh, experimenting with that. But I think that I, I credit my upbringing a lot. And, and w- when I was younger, I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. I felt very excluded. Um, I suffered, you know, fear of rejection and loneliness as a result of my parents being so careful and so, well, you know, uh, d- unapproving of so many of so many of my wishes and wants. <laughs> and I kind of got used to, you know, the gift in that really was that I got used to really being happy and content with myself, by myself. And I think that is such a gift. If, if all of us could just be a little bit more at peace with loneliness. And I know loneliness is, is awful and can be, and is really like the next epidemic in our, in our culture. But what I mean by that is just to be able to be able to center yourself and be at peace with that and not have to be, feel, feel drawn to so many external influences. Um, it's where you really get to know yourself. And so I had this foundation as a child, uh, where I got to know myself really well, Uh, but of course, FOMO, it's like, it's like the flu. It's just going to catch you. And it can come when you're just on Facebook for five minutes or <laughs> you're walking through life, you're watching television, you're in a conversation with friends at the you know the bus stop or what have you. And I think that when FOMO comes up in our lives, it is a nudge to ask yourself, what am I, what am I missing out on that I want to feel 
So I think it's valid if you're missing out, if you feel FOMO, maybe it's because there is a, a feeling that you are craving. And it's not so much the thing that everyone else is doing. It's not the shiny object. It's not the trip to Greece. It's not the, for me, it was, you know, I should really start an online course program in my business because everybody's doing this. And if I'm not doing it, like, am I leaving money on the table? What does that say about my potential? And um, I went down that rabbit hole of trying to build the course and I hated it. And I realized that uh, what I really was longing for in that FOMO was a sense of having more control in my business, creating something of high value that could end up being a bit of a easy revenue stream because I'm all the course, the courses on courses, <laughs> the courses on how to build courses. All those folks were like, it's so easy. I made seven figures. I, I just, you know, type a few, a few clicks on my laptop and boom, like, you know, I, I work two weeks out of the year and of course, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that there's way more to it than that. They're selling me. But I, I just saw so many examples of people I trust and, and, and respect in my industry doing that, that I was like, if I don't do that, then I'm not really a player in this space. And so once I kind of dabbled in it and realized it wasn't for me, I realized, okay, this isn't working, but I still, the FOMO wouldn't go away. It's like, I really still want to have what they have. But what I really want is that feeling of being in control of, my, of, of more of my revenue streams. Because up until that point, Amy, a lot of my business was being reactive to emails and incoming calls about, hey, can you work with us here? Do a consulting gig there. Um, so I wanted something that I could produce that would be sourced from me. And I realized, you know, who am I? FOMO always wants you to like look inward, like, okay, what would spark joy? And I loved gathering. I love the in-person experience. I'm not, I never got into this business to try to scale quickly or scale at all. You know, I just love to like go deep and I'd rather be influential and impactful to a few than average to many. That's always been my mantra. And then when I looked at it a little bit through that lens, I said, okay, what I think I should do is create a live workshop in person, a ticketed event. And I was able to ultimately have a higher margin doing that profit margin than the courses would have, would have uh, netted me. So again, I'm, I'm like a product of how fear can be a tool for advancement in your career and in your life. And my message to everyone who feels FOMO is that when it shows up, the question to ask yourself is, what is this, what is this fear wanting me to feel? And then go create that experience for yourself, exclusive of what everyone else is doing. Because no two people are the same. You will not be happy necessarily doing the thing everybody else is doing. You're still going to come at the end of that journey feeling a little empty and maybe underwhelmed. Um, look, if you want to go to Greece, because everyone's going to Greece and you can afford it, go for it. <laughs> but how do you pick what opportunities to take? I know as an author and a podcast host, you get tons of emails every day from people who are telling you, you should use AI to do X, Y, and Z, and you should use this program. And, yeah. you know, for years it was like, if you're not on Snapchat, you're missing out on your business. And there's always so many of those messages out there and you have to pick wisely and it's, you don't always know. And I'm somebody who built a career off of a $15 article that I almost yeah. didn't write. Had I not written that, I wouldn't be here today. So sometimes when I get an email inviting me to do something and I think, eh, 
I don't know that I necessarily want to do it. I still have that in my mind of, you know, <laughs> here I am six books later because I wrote one article for $15. How do you get over that and figure out which opportunities to take mm. and which ones to say no to? Well, for starters, I think you have to be really clear on what your definition of success is. So sticking with careers, someone asked me the other day, how do you define success for yourself? And I had to think about it, but pretty quickly I came up with this, which is that for me, success is something that I can do that is sustainable, that I can continue to do it for a long, long time because it's working, but also because I enjoy it. Think about it. There are a lot of things we start and then we give up. And, you know, I believe in consistency, but if you aren't into it, you're not going to stick, you're not going to stick with it. And so what are you into? You know, what, what has also worked for you? I think our history, our own life experiences, there's so much wisdom in that that can inform your next step. Uh, when you look at the things that you have done, what were those ingredients that led to the success? And for me, at least, it's been things that uh, I really, truly enjoy doing that I could see myself doing, whether they pay me or not. Uh, the, the, obviously, you want to pursue things that would have an ROI. So there's an element of just making sure you know what the market wants. But even that can be as simple as asking your audience, what do you want from me? I've often found that trying to create yeah. something out of thin air, like, why? You know, just go to your audience and directly ask them, what are you missing? What do you want? And then go do that. It's kind of sounds like cheating, but it's, it's it works every what time. What a novel idea, right? Just right. to ask people mm -hmm. if they're, that's something they're interested in. I like that. And then, well, you brought up AI and I definitely think there should be a, a portion of that pie where you're, you know, if, you, if the pie is uh, all the things that I could be doing. I think there should be a fraction of that, maybe 10%, 15%, where you are looking ahead and investing in the new trends. You're, you're at least expressing curiosity. I don't mean like spending money to, you know, take an AI course, but if depending on your industry, that might be what you do because that's just where the trend is going. Uh, I know a lot of people who work in design and who work in marketing are are taking night classes right now on how to essentially optimize sites like ChatGPT. It's kind of like, think about Google and how over all these years, you have probably perfected the search. <laughs> like I can find whatever I need on Google because I know how to manipulate Google to search for the right key terms. LinkedIn is the same way. Thinking of AI search engines in those ways to help you produce quickly the best results for your business is something worth learning. Um, is it where you put like 90% of your money and time? No. But I think that where you do the, put the majority of your resources and time is in those projects that where there's this Venn diagram, so to speak, of like, I like this, there's going to be an ROI, and it's something that uh, I feel like my market really would want because I've asked them and they said, please make this for us. And I always like the idea too of reminding myself like what I'd be giving up. If I decided, hey, I'm going to become an AI expert right now, all the time I'd spend trying to figure it out, like it's less time I could spend on everything else. And so, yeah, I would miss out on X, Y, and Z if I did that one thing. If I focus on that, how many hours, how much money would it take to, to learn that skill versus mm -hmm. then what would I not be doing well in my, in my business right now? 
Mm-hmm. I think there's something else to this too, which we haven't gotten to, uh, which is that before you decide on investing in another thing to help you grow your business, which to your point could be a trade-off, thinking about well, what is your definition of enough in your work and in your money life? Um, mm. You know, trying to build more things and more services and grow your audience just for the sake of growing your audience and building more things. And, you know, it's like, yes, but then are you sleeping? Are, are you having to now hire 20 people to run that for you? I have decided, right. I decided early on, like solo entrepreneurship is my, is my vibe. <laughs> I don't even like having interns. I, I just don't want that um, emotional responsibility, which is ultimately what it is, right? You're, you're, I feel like very emotionally responsible for people when they work for me, right? To make sure that they're happy, that they're getting what they need, that they're growing, that they're learning. And it takes the right person to coach those folks. And while I like to think that I'm, I'm a good mentor, I think that it's just for me, when I've compared it, I like working independently a lot more. And even if it means not getting as many things done, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a wonderful way to look at it too. Let's talk about our social lives and FOMO there. And how do you say no to something? And I think it oh. kind of goes back to, like you said, knowing yourself. So mm-hmm. I live on a sailboat in the Florida Keys. When my friends and family from Maine come to visit, a lot of them are like, let's go to the beach. And there's been times I've gone to the beach, but like <laughs> I am pale and I burn easy. And like the thought of like baking like a rotisserie chicken in the sun all day is actually not fun to me. So uh, I don't enjoy doing it. Yet when they yeah. come down, I sometimes feel like, oh, I should go because you're here, but it's not something I enjoy doing. And so I've learned over the years to say, I'll meet up with you afterward. Yeah. <laughs> but how do we manage that when your friends are like, oh, Farnoosh, come do this thing? How do you decide if you should say yes or no? Well, Listen, did you read that part in the book where I hate the beach too? Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it is it is tricky. And I will say that I have been pleasantly surprised over the years with uh, how well people have received my boundaries and my nose. They're okay. because, And I hope I'm teaching them something. I hope that I am modeling for them when, it, when you should stick, you know, stick up for yourself. And um especially as we get older, because we know it's like, I'm in my 40s. I feel like death's around the corner. I know that's horrible (laughs) to say, but I'm thinking a lot more about longevity and health and um, people are passing away in in my peer group. And I just feel like more than ever, time is precious. And while I that doesn't mean I want to spend all the time doing just the stuff that I want to do alone. Of course not. I want to gather and I want to connect with people, but you also want to make sure that you're not being dishonest with yourself and putting yourself in awkward positions. You want to have a quality life at the end of the day. So with my beach example, it was a couple of summers ago that we all went to the beach with uh, some family members, like my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my my, my niece. And there's a whole bunch, a big group of us. Everybody loves the beach, except you're looking at her. And I, but where we stayed, there was a community pool and I just said, you know what? I'm going to come as far as I can. I will come. It's not like I'm not going to go on this trip. I am not going to like be that person who's like, sorry, have fun guys. Bye. I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'll even help you pack for the beach. But I, when you come back, I'll have lunch ready. 
you know? And in the meantime, I'll go to the pool. Don't, don't feel bad for me. I'm in my happy place. And I think sometimes friends, when you say you don't want to go somewhere, they, they, they may think, oh, she's being shy or maybe um, she doesn't know what she's missing. And I think it's our job to say, I'm going to be great. And to please don't take this personally. And in fact, I want you to have a great time and I want to help you have as great of a time as possible. I want you to have something to look forward to when you come home. And, you know, I think it's in our DNA a little bit, like what we like and don't. Because my daughter at the time, who was like four or five years old, was like, mommy, thank you. <laughs> Can I stay with you too? And we had the best time. We'd go to the pool, we'd go to lunch. It was a little bonding experience for my daughter. There can be a lot of magic on the other side of you listening to uh, what this fear is actually telling you, which is that you should do you um, and not and be unapologetic about it. And I do think it gets better with age. I do think it gets easier yeah. with age to do this, to say, nope, I'm not doing it. Because I think I really feel bad for the 20-somethings who are probably under a lot of pressure and I was there. But um, I think you'll just realize as you get older uh, what how to just be stronger with your... Uh, likes and dislikes. Boundary, boundaries are what create happiness. I like that. And that sounds like wise advice because so often when we, when you go do something and you don't want to be there and then you're like, oh, how do I get yeah. out of this? And you're looking for the excuse or you're trying to leave early without looking impolite or anything, or sometimes just saying like, you know, I'll go to that, but I'm going to take my own vehicle or I'll meet you there so that you don't feel yeah. like you're stuck at something. But there's so many little things we can do sometimes and we just don't want to offend people. But as you say, if you explain it up front, this is what I'd like, people usually aren't offended. Right. And when we don't listen to FOMO and we just kind of try to fight it, you know, in other words, like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like, you know, use this, use this fear as fuel to go do the thing anyway, even though maybe I don't want to, or I don't know, it just makes, it's going to make me feel cool in the moment, but then later I might regret it. It can lead to a lot of financial hardship you know, those people who are spending like crazy to try to keep up with their friends and all those trips and all those eating out adventures. I had a friend in, in, uh, in New York when I was in my 20s. She would never join us for dinner, but she would come out for a drink or dessert. And she always said, oh, I have client meetings and, you know, I work at night, which was sort of true. But then later she confessed, I don't have the money to be going out to eat all the time. And I really respected that. Again, be a, be a model for your friends as far as what is possible <laughs> when you say no. Something I hear often too is when people say, you know, I got invited to maybe a destination wedding. I don't yeah. really have the money to go, but if I don't, if I don't go, then, then I'll miss out. So then well, they feel pressure to say, I'm going to try to, you know, scrape up the money and go, even though I don't really have it, or I'll go into debt or that's okay because my friends are doing it. I'll find a way to make it work. And then they kind of regret it later. Mm -hmm. Well, as I write in the book, sometimes when FOMO shows up, it is a fear that's telling you that somebody else has a fear and that's latching on to you. Like sometimes we catch FOMO from others, you know, so you use the example of the destination wedding. Maybe you're, you know, that bride is maybe channeling to you that she wouldn't be happy if you didn't come and she would be afraid for the friendship if you didn't come. And that's her, that's her fear to deal with. That's her fear to reconcile with. And, you know, transferring that to our financial lives or our career lives. If you have, let's say, family that's pushing you to buy a house right now because they say renting is money down the drain. If you don't own a home, are you even an adult? And they're giving you FOMO. 
that's really their problem. <laughs> you know, that's their insistence that they haven't unpacked. Like, why are they so insistent on it? Maybe it worked for them, but it doesn't have to work for everybody and it shouldn't work for everybody. And I think when we can frame it like that and, and kind of put it, put FOMO back where it came from and play, put it back in its place, it, it is very freeing. And you're right. We know from the research, emotions are contagious. When you sit with somebody mm-hmm. who's highly anxious, we get anxious. We don't even know what we're anxious right. about, but then we start calming the other person down or trying to meet their needs yeah. so that so that they don't feel bad, so that we don't then don't feel bad. So I like that idea of looking at yeah. maybe it is somebody else's fear. Farnoosh, where is the best place for people to learn more about your work and to learn more about a healthy state of panic? Well, it is available uh, at a healthystateofpanic.com, all the information about the book, where you can purchase it. If you order it before the pub date, October 3rd, then you can get a free valuable bonus, which is my video training, Scared Smart, um, which gives you a head start on the money chapter in the book, as well as a workbook and the introduction to the book. And I would love to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts or questions about the book, I am, I'm on, I'm, I read all my DMs on Instagram. <laughs> so there I'm at Farnoosh Tarabi. What a generous offer. Well, Farnoosh, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. Thank you, Amy. It's such a great time. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Farnoosh's strategies and share how to apply them to your own life. Farnoosh shared so many great ideas, but here are three of my favorite strategies that she shared. Number one, ask what role fear plays in your life. I was glad that Farnoosh suggested asking yourself this question. I see a lot of people in the therapy office who have been controlled by fear and confronting the fear, though, just never seemed like an option. You might find that you're just running from a feeling that doesn't have any truth behind it. Or maybe your fear is trying to tell you something, like you need to make a change in your life. But you won't know unless you give yourself time to think about your fear. So while it's uncomfortable to sit in that emotion and think about it, give yourself a chance to do it and you just might learn something. Number two, when you experience FOMO, ask what feeling you're missing out on. Farnoosh had some great examples about the fear of missing out. And her strategy, I think is a wise one. Ask what emotion it is that you're worried about missing out on. When you see other people who look like they're having fun together, you might feel bad that you didn't take them up on the opportunity to hang out. But it might not be hanging out that you're missing out on. It might be that sense of belonging or community. So just ask yourself, what emotion am I missing out on? And what are some ways to get my needs met? And number three, consider whether FOMO is just a sign that someone else's fear is contagious. We know from research that emotions are definitely contagious. Sit with somebody who feels anxious and your anxiety will go up. Panic spreads like wildfire. As one person often ramps things up, other people start to panic too. So it makes sense that FOMO is contagious. I like the idea of taking a step back and asking yourself whether your feelings are really something you caught from somebody else. Like, is their fear of missing out putting pressure on you to change your behavior? When you realize that, it gets easier to set boundaries. So those are three of Farnoosh's strategies that I highly recommend. 
Ask yourself what role fear plays in your life. When you experience FOMO, ask what feeling you're missing out on. And consider whether FOMO is just a sign that someone else's fear is contagious. To hear more of Farnoosh's strategies, pick up a copy of her book, A Healthy State of Panic. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who fortunately isn't prone to panic in the floating podcast studio, Nick Valentine.